Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm so happy that you're listening. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life in a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in the kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi, while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the dock, on the deck, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart space, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. Joining me today for episode number one is the lovely Nancy <laughs> Brownsberger from Eagle Lake. Nancy, I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to be here too, Amanda. Yeah, I feel very, very honored that you just jumped right into. I feel very honored to be a vast, yeah. so that's great. Yay. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. So Nancy, you've got so many different stories, but I know that we really wanted to focus on your awesome Grow Optimism business that you've started. Can you tell us all about that? I certainly can. <laughs> so, so here we sit in uh, Grow Optimism headquarters in Eagle Lake, Ontario. I refer to it on Facebook as Riverside. Oh, I love it. Because if we turn around and we look behind us, we can see that gorgeous river that uh, comes out of those yeah, beautiful big windows. so beautiful. I love that rushing sound behind, too. It's for anything so nice. that you're doing, just to sit outside so calming. It is mm-hmm. very calming. And I'd really like to do some, actually, some retreats and stuff here at some mm, point. Totally. And some sessions. So, um, but we didn't always live in this house. Okay. And uh, this house is... This beautiful house. If I may tell our listeners, (laughs) I drove in. I was like, whoa, this place is beautiful. It's a little posh. Yeah. uh, For my standards anyway. And I'm a hippie at heart. (laughs) I'm a misplaced 80s hippie uh, at heart. So yeah. So the story about Grow Optimism, my beautiful little business that I started in 2014. Uh came out of tragedy. Mm-hmm. And so at the front of our property here, Riverside, used to sit a big old original Cooperage home that uh, we fell in love with when we moved to Halliburton, Eagle Lake, in 1999. Wow, you've been here for a while. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, 20 cool. years this uh, August yeah. we've been here. And it's a beautiful little story in that um, my sister married a bishop. Okay. And anybody that lives in Halifax knows the bishop. <laughs> and for those that are listening, this is my martini. <laughs> um, uh, she moved up here years before us, and we were in Guelph, John and I, and uh, encouraged us to come up for a little business, Patient News Publishing. Yep. So John came up and started working for that. So it's been 20 years, and Eagle Lake is actually probably the most home place for me on the planet. Wow. We had a cottage on Eagle Lake growing up that oh, okay. our dad built. Yeah. And um, it is always been it's always been just a piece of heaven for me. It's mm-hmm. been my favorite place on the planet. Well, I actually rarely come here and even just on my way it's down beautiful. the road, just those windy roads, and it's so green, so foresty around here. I, it, it is beautiful. And if you get to the top of the ski hills mm. and you look out over yeah. Eagle and Moose Lake, like it's pretty that's where I want my ashes spread actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So so back to kind of this little Cooperage house. Yeah. So we were pregnant with our now nineteen year old. Um uh, when we moved here and we bought a beautiful little Cooperage house that was old and we called it the Broke Down Palace. Okay. Which is a grateful dead song. And uh, worked lovingly on it. And on the night of March 28th, 2014, um, whew, <laughs> so right? Yeah. And I haven't no. done that in a long time. So um, I had worked really hard on collecting a tribe of women mm-hmm. over a two-year period up here. Um, and I really went out of my way to find like-minded women Mm -hmm. to hang out with because when I moved here, uh, you know, you have the mom friends and you have the work friends, all beautiful and wonderful women. But I really went around and started kind of picking women that I felt would get me. Yes. And that I would get, and there would be like a really open, loving, non-judgmental, unconditional free-spirited woman tribe kind of situation Mm -hmm. and the night of march 28th 2014 was the night i brought them all together 
And I guess we were just so fucking powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Here? Yeah. At the old house. Okay. At the old house. Well, yeah. Okay. So um, I was 10 days into a brand new job. Mm -hmm. I had only worked there for two weeks. Was that local? It was in Yeah, well? it was, it was uh, community care okay. that I yeah. um, moved from Search Community Services mm-hmm. that I had worked with uh, for five years. Uh, and we had just put in several thousand dollars worth of renos. Okay. And I was really excited to show the house off. My boys, so I have two sons and a beautiful husband, were in Ottawa at a hockey game with like kind of the hockey people because mm-hmm. our boys both played hockey at the time. Uh, and so no better way than to bring everyone together to see the renos. Mm-hmm. And we all gathered uh, together that night. It was a beautiful night. It was cold. It had been minus 30s all winter. It was the winter that never ended mm-hmm. from November through to March. So even that night was minus 20. And uh, we were going to play games. We were all bringing a little snack. I was busy cooking dinner or at least my portion of it, the girls were arriving, and one girlfriend, her name is Carrie, uh, wasn't going to come. And she arrived late. Mm -hmm. And before she had arrived, I was a cigarette smoker at the time, and I was out back on my back porch with a girlfriend of mine, and I could see billows of smoke coming from what I thought was two houses down, Mm -hmm. because sometimes... A friend of ours, a neighbor of ours, will have bonfires in the winter, and mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of it, and it was kind of um, smelly, but I didn't really think anything of it, and I thought, oh, Jason's having a burn, whatever. He came back into the house, uh, and Carrie showed up, and her husband had done the electrical on the renovations upstairs. Mm-hmm. So I said, come on, let's go see, let's go see what Nick did. And upstairs we went. Everybody else had done the tour and was all gathered in the living room in front of the fireplace. We had logs burning, beautiful old fireplace. Had the tables covered in tulips and games and snacks and drinks were just starting to be opened. And Carrie and I went upstairs and we were looking in the different rooms and we walked into our son William's room and there was smoke coming from underneath his door of his closet. Oh my God. And it was an old house. We had ripped the carpet up, so there was that gap between the hardwood right. floor and that, right? And it was just kind of, like, coming out okay, pretty intensely. And I looked at Carrie and said, what's going on? And I opened the door without doing any safety precautions. I didn't feel the door for heat. I didn't, well, you wouldn't know nope, either, too, right? Yeah. opened the door. And when I opened the door to the closet, you could hear, first of all, it was engulfed in smoke. You could hear the fire raging behind the walls. Oh my god! Raging. Nancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at Carrie and said, "Holy shit, my house is on fire!" Yeah. And I grabbed her hand, and we ran down the stairs, and I ran into the living room, and I looked at all my women friends, and I went, "My house is on fire!" And I froze, like I was immobilized. Yeah. And one of my girlfriends, God bless her, said, call 911. And then the rest of the women moved into action really quick because I really was immobilized. Another girlfriend yelled, grab the cats from the bigger front room. Mm -hmm. Another, Carrie, yelled, get the cars out of the driveway and out for the fire trucks. Let's go. Everybody out. So I I got on the phone with 911. I had my cell phone in one pocket, my cordless in my hand. I had my cats. I was throwing them in my car and I was talking to 911 and saying, my house is on fire. And I kind of left my body mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I I look at that like from above when I think of the memory yeah so we pulled across the street right across from us where there's a quarry and a big big driveway and all the cars pulled out there and I got out of my car with a good dear friend of mine Lori um, who's really great in times of crisis and she didn't leave my side that whole night mm-hmm. it was very cold so it was hard to kind of be in all the girls were getting in and out of the cars and just doing their best to to stay warm. Lori stood beside me and I looked at the house and it was the smoke was just black mm-hmm. and firing out of the right side of the the roof of the house right. and it was like oh my god my house is on fire mm-hmm. and I promptly went and threw up into the yeah. snowbank mm-hmm. and we waited what seemed like hours and it was. I think they said it was the fastest call they had made that year. And there were several fires in our county that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we waited to hear the fire, the, the sirens yeah. come in from town. So they pulled up and 
we stayed on the other side. They asked us to stay on the other side where we were standing. And we watched the fire trucks pull up. And what was really tough was these are all hockey dads. Right. Right. They volunteer all here. That's right. It's a volunteer fire mm-hmm. team, right? Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful, but it was also tough because they couldn't talk to me. They wouldn't look at me. No. Oh, so yes. there's my martini again. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's Friday night. Absolutely. Um, and so over the course of the next four hours, without going into a million details, which I could, uh, the phone, I had to get hold of my husband, but it was my neighbor. My phone died. Um, they had to cordon off the street. People couldn't get through this little village of Eagle Lake. All the neighbors ended up coming out. Mm-hmm. The store sent over bottles of wine and red solo cups the, and food. And um, I stood and watched my house burn by myself because my family wasn't with me for four hours. Mm-hmm. At about the three and three quarter hour point or three hour point, the fire chief then, Miles Mon, who remains, they all remain my hero. They couldn't, they couldn't get it out because we have a steel roof. Mm-hmm. And they were going in and out of the house after they kicked the front door down. And there's a piece of that front door that I've had made. It has stained glass in it and it hangs on our back porch. And, um, it's a reminder just of the fragility of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, they came to me, I was now down on the driveway and talking to the fire chief and he said something to me that I can't really remember. And my girlfriend, Lori said, do you understand what they're telling you? And I said, no. And she said, you're about to lose everything. And I looked again at the fire chief cause I still felt like I was seven feet out of my body. Right. And he said, we can't get the fire out. We've got to cut holes in your roof and we've got to put the hoses in and we've got to soak everything. You're going to lose everything. Oh my God. And one of the firefighters, Greg Fippen came out. There were some awesome local firefighters mm-hmm. that came running out mm-hmm. of the, my front porch and said, Nancy, we have two minutes left on our oxygen. What do you want? Wow. And so my grandmother's wedding rings that my dad gave me on my 40th birthday mm-hmm. were on my counter in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. So I start yelling in this two minute period. What is a value? Jesus. Yeah. Cause you like, I don't have my husband. I don't have my kids. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother's wedding rings, the picture of me and my dad dancing at my wedding, all the photos in my bedroom. We had photos going up the side of our um, uh, staircase going upstairs, uh-huh. which had Brownsburger, like from the 1700s, pictures. And then there were tons of pictures, wedding pictures, celebratory pictures that mm-hmm. I knew that it's not the digital age. That's that these right. Pictures That's are right. From. You know, so I just, I'm shouting and they're doing a convoy off of the front porch and handing stuff to my girlfriends and my girlfriends are putting them in the back of my girlfriend Louise's car. And I don't even, I barely don't even remember. So they soak the house. And it's smoldering and it's probably at this point, I don't know, 10, 10 30 at night. And for some reason I just said to my, to miles, the fire chief, I want to go in. And he said, it's toxic. And I said, I don't care. I have to bear witness to her. Mm-hmm. Your I life. have to honor her. Mm-hmm. She's I've raised my babies. I've been pregnant here. Yeah. You know, this was our first house. Mm-hmm. So, um, they suited me up (laughs) and, um, a girlfriend did take a picture of it, but I don't know where that picture went. I don't actually ever want to see it, but, and miles, the fire chief and two firefighters walked in the house with me and it was raining Mm -hmm. into the house. And there was probably a good five, six centimeters of water on the floor, Mm -hmm. everything, the tulips on the tables. Were still standing all the bottles so i grabbed every bottle of wine oh my god <laughs> nancy <laughs> and i just started grabbing things and yeah. i went upstairs and i grabbed some of this my toiletry stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that i knew was in a drawer and relatively safe still because it was just starting to pour right um 
grabbed a couple of more things because I talked to my husband and he had said, this is what the boys want. This is what I want. So I said, I'm going in and I came out and I came and I started to feel sick. I don't even remember my feet on the ground at that point. I went, oh, I don't feel very. And they had me on the front porch and the oxygen on me because I was, Mm -hmm. had, it was noxious. So girlfriends, we all caravaned over to a girlfriend's house that night. Uh, I didn't sleep. Um, they sat up with me, bless their hearts, fed me some food, bless their hearts. And then in the morning had to make the calls to family to let them know what had happened before I posted it on Facebook. Cause we didn't have a phone anymore. Mm-hmm. So fast forward yeah. from March 28th, 2014. Um, it was the darkest period of my life mm-hmm. and I've danced with depression. I've lost lots of people. I'm an adoptee. Um, not the perfect functional family, um, but a perfect family, you know, that I come from that did right by me. And I had to go into therapy. I ended up rattling around with some post-traumatic stress, which who mm-hmm. knew mm-hmm. that that comes on several months after an event. And it was the July after the fire that we were down at the Rotary Carnival in Halliburton. Mm-hmm. And I had gone, carried on, business as usual. Yeah, my house, went back to work, whatever. It was hard. It was brutal. You have to go and buy underpants. Yeah, You have everything. to hold your family together. Yeah. You have to explain to your children who were 10 and 13 that they're never going home again. Um, but we were so surrounded by love. Where did you stay in that time? We stayed at a girlfriend's house on Eagle Lake mm-hmm. for a couple of nights. And then luckily there was a place here in Eagle Lake from a local friend, Kirby Bag, who was on our driveway the day after the fire saying, I've got a rental house. It is fully furnished. Dishes, pots, pans, sheets. Everything good. It's yours to rent. And so we went there. Wow. The drag to that was we had to drive by the old house, which Ooh, didn't yeah. get torn down for seven months. So how much of the physical house was gone though? Because you were talking a lot about the right side of it. Mm-hmm. So it was just the right side. And at yeah. the back, it was worse. But everything obviously was completely damaged. Because when they dump the right, water, all that right. noxious fumes goes <clears> into like the smell of it to this day. So I still have PTSD with that. If I smell a dirty fire, mm-hmm. if I hear, uh, oh gosh, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. Don't even worry about it. If I hear alarms, um, smoke or sirens or smoke alarms and that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just pause this for one Thank second. You. Yeah. So back. yeah. So that noxious yes. fume stuff, the yeah. smell. So the PTSD triggers for me are are sirens, mm. smoke alarms, mm-hmm. dirty smoke smell. Smoke is a huge trigger. Like big billowous things right. of smoke. Okay. Really freak me. Like I'm I get really rattled. Um, but I've got great strategies in place thanks to my therapist. So so in July of that year, it was my very good friend Lori Boker who came to the rental house, and I was for the first time in my life what I would describe as having lost all hope. And I'd never felt that before. Mm -hmm. Um, I came out of that birth mother pretty joyful Mm -hmm. and optimistic and faithful in what the world had for me and my place in the world. And I've been a social service worker for, you know, till I was 19 and I had no hope. I was so overwhelmed by the post-trauma that I wasn't functioning. And Lori knew this and she said, you need some help. And she gave me the name of this phenomenal therapist, Diane Mathis, who's local and who's now my clinical supervisor for my private practice (laughs) and a good, 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 good friend. Um, and I still didn't want to go off work and I was at the Rotary Carnival with my husband. The kids were off doing the Rotary Carnival thing and the parade was happening and there go the sirens and I go, oh, look, hey, there's so-and-so. Oh, look, hey, there's, and all of the sudden I was completely overtaken Mm -hmm. by an enormous panic attack. To the point where my husband had to, we kind of slid off the main street and down a side um, walkway and I leaned against the wall and he just stood in front of me with his hands on the wall and looked at me and I said, just hold me here for a minute. 
like I, and so what would happen for me in a post-trauma event was my chest would shake because the night of the fire, I started a chest rattle and it's not a rattle like a cardiovascular rattle. It's a shake. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in chakras, I do. Of course I do. It is your heart chakra. Yeah. And it's fear. Yes. And so I would get this shake like nobody's business. So between July and October, five professionals, social worker, doctor, Mm -hmm. counselor, therapist that I was working with, two psychiatrist consults, go off work. You need to go off work. I don't have PTSD. That's for Holocaust survivors. (laughs) I don't have PTSD. Right. That's for frontline people that serve. Right. I don't have PTSD. Mm. Until finally that Mm -hmm. October, um, the psychiatrist looked at me and he said, what would you tell your clients? Mm, Flipped it. He flipped it on Mm -hmm. me. And I went, oh shit. Yeah. I got to go off work. I want to go off work. I worked in a really toxic culture. And it was really, really scary to be vulnerable in that culture at the time. And there was very little understanding of what was going on for me. People tried, but they didn't. And I hadn't formed the relationships of long-term team building Mm -hmm. with these people because I'd only been there 10 days professionally until the fire. And then I was in a really awful place. Mm -hmm. And I would just sit in my office and weep, you know, privately because I wasn't going to dare let them. I took three days off. I got double pneumonia after the fire. Mm -hmm. And I only took three days off, right? Jeez. Like you just, why yeah. I did not want to be vulnerable. So I was really scared to go off work, but I did. And in that year, it was really brutal. There was very little support from where I worked. Very, very little support. And in fact, what ended up happening was I found out several months into it. And it happened to be a time after I had considered suicide Mm. and I had a 40 of vodka and I had a hundred clonazepam the week before I found out this information and I was sitting in the garage at the rental house Mm -hmm. because I couldn't take the panic attacks. I couldn't take the flashbacks. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd be halfway across the room trying to save my girlfriends from the fire. Wow. I would smell smoke. Yeah. I would hear things that mm-hmm. I would hear sirens. And that was so real to you. It like, was so, so real. I couldn't watch anything on TV right. without feeling like I was going to go into an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. I could not normalize with all the work that I was doing. And I was in therapy and I was fucking working that therapy. Yeah. Like a full time job. Yeah. But I was coming up to returning back to work. Yeah. And I could not manage the thought of going back to a job where. The culture was really crazy. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel very supportive to me. And I found, so I ended up reaching out for help that day Mm -hmm. to my therapist who was at my door in five minutes and to my closest girlfriend up here. Her name's Melanie. I just texted her and said suicidal. Mm -hmm. I was so close to doing it. So close. And had you shared any of this with John at all? John found out that day. Okay. Because Melanie texted him. Okay. That I was suicidal. So yeah. I hadn't shared with him. Right. A week later, I find out that the people at my office were talking shit about me because I had been at Ladies Day at the ski house. Mm-hmm. Because my therapist insisted that I get out and do social activities and yeah. anchor. And my leader of the company, my director at the time, and the staff team stood in a circle at the front desk and I found out because a staff member contacted me and I almost killed myself the week before. Yeah. And I went back to that environment and I did a return to work plan. I still work there and the environment is beautiful and Mm -hmm. we have different leadership and Mm -hmm. relationships have been formed and Mm -hmm. I've had to learn how to be in work without having, you know, those kind of intimate relationships that I've always had, which was really interesting and new for me. But it's good, right? Mm -hmm. So while I was off during that time, 
a very good friend of mine, her name's Sky, was opening a spin studio mm-hmm. here in Halliburton. And we, she was one of my safe places, would go for walks. We would go for snowshoes. Does she live around here? Mm-hmm. Oh, she does. Okay. And we talked about, as we were building this house at the time, I talked about opening my own private practice mm-hmm. in life coaching and counseling and other stuff. And it was her that encouraged me because she's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, this is all you have to do to get a business registration. Oh, this is all you have to do to trademark. <laughs> this is who you get in touch with. And within a one-month period, between April and May of 2015, I got my business license. I started um, contacting people about doing life coaching. I started. I set up workshops at uh, the studio and ran a bunch of kind of exploratory workshops, finding your play. And I based it all on the therapy that I had done. So the first thing that my therapist said after the fire was, you need to go have fun. The second thing she said was, you need to get centered in your body and find your grounding Mm -hmm. mindfulness. And the third thing that she said to me was, you need to be able to anchor to yourself at all times and do some regulation around your emotionality. So I ran workshops based on that, Mm -hmm. out of that space. And I did that for a couple of years. And over the course of that time, I started a Facebook page, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and I've started working with clients through private practice. I now do corporate training, motivational speaking, keynote talks, all about various issues around just being and navigating this world. And what I know for sure, and I said to um, a client today who said, you'd better give me props. Uh, and her name is Michelle, is that um, I think it all comes down to the fact that we get so lost trying to grow up Mm -hmm. that we forget where we are and who we are and that core sense of ourselves. And the older we get, if we don't develop introspective tendencies and self-awareness and we don't get that support around us to live our authentic selves... Mm -hmm. We get so far away from it and so far removed, we might not ever get back to her. Right. And what I learned through the most intensive, hardest therapy I'd ever done, and I've always been in and out of counseling. Right. It's what you do when you work in frontline work, right? Mm -hmm. I dug so deep and so hard because she looked at me in the second session and she said, I'm never going to give you a gold star, so stop reaching for it. Mm. And she said, you can come here and pay me every hour that you come to see me. But until you realize that you need to change the way that you react in the world and the way that you are in this world and get back to who you are, nothing will ever change for you. And you will have anxiety attacks that debilitate you for the rest of your life. Make your choice. It's confronting. Mm -hmm. Super confronting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how Grow Optimism was born. And it is almost an ideology more than it is anything else, yeah. which is um, how to be a phoenix and love it and I rise love out it. of the ashes. Yeah. And we can do that. We can do that with the right supports around us. None of what has happened in my life could not have happened without the love of a good family, my boys, mm-hmm. the love of amazing friends, the love of my in-laws that were phenomenal. We have so many pieces in this new house that you look at. We had one of our best friends who unfortunately died in uh, 2017. Uh, You know, he owned a mill, so a lot of the wood was hand-milled and hand-hewn for us. The lifetime friend that donated all the stone for that fireplace. We have all these different pieces that people gave to this house to create the energy in the space, which is indicative of a life when you're when you can be open and vulnerable much like Brene Brown who is my my mentor right now and be present to your life and allow that vulnerability to come through there's such a power in it it just there creates is. energy yeah. right mm-hmm. just creates this energy that can swirl around us we have to be open to it yes. and be able to sit in the middle and what I term the ick in the ick we have to stick it out for a bit we, we have to do. sit in the ick and, and be sit okay in, in the ick uh-huh right? Mm -hmm. And get the help that we need. Mm -hmm. 
because we can't we're we think that we can do it ourselves. So many women that I that are my clients and that I work with and that I talk to, you know, that, that come here and sit Riverside and chat about what's going on, there's this piece that where it's almost like we want to do it all. And the the thing that I talked about the most after the fire when I would do keynote speeches is my adage in life before the fire was do better, go faster and be more. That's what I wanted out of life. That was, that was what I wanted out of life. That's what I thought when somebody would call me driven mm-hmm. before the fire, I loved it. I wore it like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Eh? It's not what it's about. No. It's not what it's about. And you, there's so many people, even just everybody knows these people, right? That are so driven or that mm-hmm. need more, want to be more. Mm-hmm. And God bless them. Yes. And maybe there's a balance between self-awareness and enlightenment Mm -hmm. and that piece, but it wasn't for me, right? It just wasn't. And when I left and raised above my body that night of the fire, and I can still be in that moment in time in a heartbeat, that was the night that the universe said, you haven't listened. You are not living your true, authentic life. My life, my goal, my core value on this planet is to be of service. Mm -hmm. But I got all tripped up in what that meant externally. Mm -hmm. What does be of service mean? Well, it means living a life with integrity that's authentic and present and holding the space for other people because I was given that gift. My whole life I've had that gift. Mm -hmm. That's it. Full stop. Mm -hmm. And be you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I just never learned that. And I had to, I had to bear witness to that fire. It was mine to hold that night. It wasn't my son's. It wasn't my husband's. It was mine to hold. It was mine to experience. Nancy, that is just such an incredible way to see or to be able to look back now and to reflect on that. You know, um, I really admire you for a variety of different reasons, but hearing your story and being able to, you know, acknowledge that you took such a traumatic event and yes, you hit your lows and yes, you were in the darks and sat in the ick and whatever, but to see what you've created now and to hear your perspectives now is, is beyond admirable. I just, I think you're incredible. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. for saying that. Yeah. And I, you, and I see the beauty and grace that comes from you and the people that you surround yourself with Mm. and the people that we meet in this world, right? Well, you do really attract those people too, right? And yeah. And every, every single person that you meet is better. There's, there's a, there's a serve there. There's some sort of serving to it. There's a servitude to it. For sure. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, when I had that 40 of vodka and 100 clonazepam and made the decision to reach out, and I mean, my whatever spirit guide, God, whatever you ascribe to for me was screaming, get help, call, get help, get help, like no matter how much I wanted to go forward, that was screaming in my head. Ironically enough, a month later, a very good friend and a community member killed himself. Mm. And um, it was it was it was almost like an awakening, a further awakening. Mm-hmm. It just was this process of consistent awakening and enlightenment for me as I dug through the fucking trenches of yeah. post traumatic stress. Yes, and. I kept saying over and over, I will not have gone through this in vain. There's not any part of this that will not be used to serve. Not one part. Mm -hmm. The love of good friends, the love of a good family, the people around me, the community that surrounded us, Mm -hmm. um, from the firefighters to the friends, to the family, to the experience, to the golden guru that dragged me through that post-traumatic. I mean, we're talking sessions of folded over on a couch, sobbing so hard that I've never felt such devastating pain Mm -hmm. 
and holding that space for me, there was no way I was going to let that go in vain. I was going to use every inch of it, and I knew it the whole way through, to use, to help, to be of service, to be of support, to be present mm -hmm. for others mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. For as long as I get that chance to do it, I will do it. Yeah. And I feel honored to do that. Mm. I feel honored to tell the story. Yeah. It's why Grow Optimism and on Facebook and, and when I share these things, I share it because it resonates because life's fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, it is. So where do we find the joy, mm -hmm. right? Where do we find... And helping people find, find that joy. Yeah. Yeah. Which Absolutely. is in us. It, it totally is. Absolutely mm -hmm. it is. But I know that, like you say, when people are in the dark or they're sitting in the ick, it's really hard to see. It's really, really is. hard to see. It really, really, really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet, you know, people that don't know your story would always think, oh, but you're so happy all the time. Mm -hmm. You're so happy all the time. Right. And they don't recognize. I mean, even for me, I mean, oh, pff, you never have a bad day. It's like, I do. <laughs> right. I have bad days. Of course I do. Yes. Um, but I really think that, um, you know, you hear these cliche things about how happiness is a choice. Happiness is hard. You that is toxic positivity. Yeah, exactly. And But what people don't understand is that when you hear something like that, right, is so many people will believe well, then it. you start shaming yourself because yep. you can't find it. Exactly. I remember someone saying to me, and it was my sister at the time, yep. two weeks after the fire, but you're going to get a new house. Why are you so sad? And I read... I remember oh. sitting there and thinking, and my beautiful niece at the time, 22, so this is how many years ago, five years ago, she was 18, 17, had said to my sister, she just lost everything. Yeah. But people want to flip it, but there's this toxic positivity curse that goes on, which shames the shit out of us. Yeah. You know, be positive, choose your attitude. There yeah. are pieces to that in cognitive behavioral strategies. Absolutely. 100%. But this this toxicity and this um, propaganda mm -hmm. of finding joy, it's because we live in this externally driven society, right? So, oh, Amanda, you always look so happy. Oh, Nancy, you must have it all. Talking to a client today, and she's like, everyone thinks I have it all together, and I don't. Because we fear being truly authentic. We fear being vulnerable for judgment. Yep. Because... When you're a little hurt and broken, and who the fuck isn't, to have someone judge your vulnerability or not be present and hold that, like the example of people talking about me making yeah. choices when I'm on sick leave, yeah. in my small community and judging that, mm -hmm. that's, that's our worst fear. Yeah. We don't want to be judged. Mm -hmm. The best and most beautiful thing we can do to other human beings is A, to see you, B, to hear you. And three, three, AB three, maybe three, <laughs> ABC, C to include you. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And we just fear that we all walk around thinking this. Oh, there's not one of us that comes, no, not Deepak Chopra, not the Dalai Lama. Well, the Dalai Lama is pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty close. It's pretty awesome. But we, you know, and, and we don't know how to navigate this world that goes so fast. Mm -hmm. It's constant, it's constant work. It really it is. It is constant work. And mm -hmm. you know, I think silence, shutting down, getting quiet, getting still, getting to know ourselves. And I have used this term with so many clients over the past couple of years. You need to date yourself. Mm, I love that. Be with yourself. What do you want? Mm -hmm. What lights you up? What provides transcendent moments for you mm -hmm. where you are just are? Yeah. I, you know what? You're, you're so accurate with that. There are so few people that really know themselves inside out. And we don't get time. No, we don't right? get time. It's that, yeah, we do really have to prioritize that for sure. I think we do. And I think the self-care stuff is really important, but I think it's deeper than that. I think that there's also propaganda around that. It, it's not just a petty or a facial or a, you know, it, it's deeper. Like self-care yeah. is, is an in, as far as I'm concerned, a really deep intimacy of getting to know who you are, what you love, what you don't, what your boundaries are. Mm -hmm. We can't, you know, Brene Brown talks about this. And if you haven't seen it, watch the Netflix special. I'm telling you. Um, 
you know, there is no authenticity in this world and an ability to be fully vulnerable and present if we don't have boundaries like a motherfucker. That doesn't sit for me. That doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're moving so fast. Yeah. We don't even learn that. We're not taught that growing up. Yeah. And as women, look out, the feminist is coming out in this conversation. As <laughs> women, especially my generation, I'm 51, right? Smile. Mm -hmm. Oh, you'd look so much better if you smile. Why do you need to talk about this? What do you need to go to the Women's March for? Mm -hmm. You know, why do you need to talk back? We are pleasers, mm -hmm. so many of us. So when you're busy wagging your tail and wanting to please and hustling for your worth, you're not able to be present enough with yourself to say, you know what? When you tell me who I can be friends with or how I should be in this world or how I should act when I'm at a party and how much I should talk or not talk, that's not okay with me. Yeah, setting the boundaries and boundaries articulating them. of what we want in yeah. our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just the only way that we can do that is to get quiet enough. I was blessed with the gift of six months of intensive introspection and therapy because of post-traumatic stress. And I continually do the work, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm an adoptee, right? So there's some <laughs> stuff that's got to go on there for me. Yeah. But um, we can't figure it out unless we get quiet long enough yeah. and, fi and, and, and learn how to be present with ourselves. Uh, so I just had a conversation um, the other day with a girlfriend and we were actually talking about boundaries and we were also talking about self-care and about a little bit about what we just, what you just mentioned yeah, yeah. about how it's like, yeah, self-care Sundays, take a picture or a selfie of you getting a mani-pedi or self-care Sundays, you know, you're out reading a book in the sun, mm. but how, yes, it's great. Go for it. But how number yeah. one, self-care, like you said, it almost has this rep of being something that is more. Uh, more light, more surface level. It is that mani-pedi or is getting your hair done. And for some people, maybe that's all the self-care that they me. need. Like I, I can't afford a mani-pedi most of the time, but I like it. It feels good. Yeah, yeah, totally. Feels good. Absolutely. It does feel good. But I think it's about exploring, like you said, what you need is going to be so different from the next person yes. and having the time to explore that. So what are your, what are some of your self-care rituals or some of the things that you find really bring you back to center? Uh, for me, it's quiet and it's nature. Mm -hmm. Always, first and foremost, I need to get really, really quiet and still. And when things get really, really hectic and busy and I start to lose my ground, I need to go inside myself really fast. Mm -hmm. uh, living with post-traumatic stress disorder is something that always can and does rear its head up. I can smell smoke if I'm under great stress. Mm -hmm. I'll smell smoke. Wow. Even if there isn't smoke. Yeah. So... Um, it's it's like a daily everything it's being really really clear with myself on where i'm at mm -hmm. uh checking in with myself pretty much every morning and we used to call it when i was doing the work after the fire and i was off we'd call it a board meeting <laughs> i'd check in with myself i'd mm -hmm. have a board meeting right and i was yeah. a smoker at the time because i was under a lot of stress yeah and uh you know where am i at today how do i feel what's going on um you know physically emotionally psychologically where am I at intellectually what's going on for me so I do ch I check in with myself every day I don't go on social media in the morning mm -hmm. I stopped yeah I will read I will get present actually every weekday morning right now I go for a walk That's and I'm in lovely. nature mm -hmm. uh, I make sure that I do physical fitness physical fitness is really really important for me uh, because it's a stress relief. It gets the endorphins on now in menopause. So mm -hmm. I really need to make sure I've got that going on. Yeah. Being in spaces that are really great and grand that don't have a lot of people. So finding space where I can almost, it becomes transcendent for me. So where I can have moments in nature where I can just lose myself. I have the blessed gift of being able to do that here, Riverside. Mm -hmm. I can sit and watch the ducks. Yeah. I can listen to the river mm -hmm. and I can zone out. I do meditation. I don't do it regularly. Sometimes I journal. It is all about within. Mm -hmm. That is how I do self-care. Yeah. There is not one part of it that involves facials, pedicures anymore. Yeah. Do I do facials and pedicures? Fucking right. I'm yeah. 51. I got to keep it together <laughs> somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. And do I like to get my hair done? Yeah, I like to go have a chat with one of my lifetime girlfriends while she does my hair. Yeah. But that's not where I fill my bucket. Mm -hmm. Right. 
I also, the one thing, and the very first thing when my therapist said to me after the fire, you have to go have fun. Because I went off work in October, it was Halloween, and there was a zombie dance. And I was on the zombie organizing committee, and so we had to do costumes. I love doing costumes. I love having fun. And at the time, um, my sister was really into it with me too. And so we would go out. One of the biggest, best ways for me to fill my cup, and it does not involve much alcohol, uh, is dancing. Dancing. I love to dance. Yeah. It's transcendental for me. I do too. (laughs) I'm always dancing. I love it. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So ways that you leave yourself, right? Yeah. I studied Pema Chodron from January to now. I'm still studying her, and she talks about... Um, and it's the book that I'm reading is called the places that scare you. Mm. And she's a Buddhist, uh, Buddhist monk. She's from Canada actually. And so she talks about how it's really important for us to, um, lose ourselves Mm -hmm. in moments and also develop this, this Tonglen practice, which is reaching out and being really compassionate to others. There is nothing more fulfilling to me than being in a group of people. I don't care if it's alcohol induced or not, but it's a safe space, whether it's a U2 concert or a mm-hmm. dance at the ski hills or a night at the Pine Stone or the Lula Lounge in Toronto with my girlfriends, right? Yeah. Like just dancing as a tribe of people that are doing nothing more than their quest to move and boogie to music. Mm-hmm. It is so communal and so fulfilling for me. And I yeah. love it. I absolutely love it. And I think I will till the day I die. Does John love to dance? He loves to dance. You guys are so cute. Can you fill us in a little <laughs> bit with you and John? Because you guys almost make me barf. You're so cute. <laughs> you are so we cute. We are a bit barfable. <laughs> Barfy. Oh God, yeah, a little barfy. <laughs> yeah, high school sweetheart. Um, I was uh, met him. I met him probably when I was about 17. I moved to Stovall from... Toronto when I was 16 and he was kind of on the periphery until I was about 18 really but I met him when I was 17 and I believe the universe speaks to me mm-hmm. it has my whole life yeah. and I believe that my life is a gift because I'm an adoptee mm-hmm. and so I take signs very strong mm-hmm. I, I listen to them I have um, very strong instincts and uh, we were at a party one night, and we were at a barn party in Stovell, and he was in the barn, and he was talking, and he was backlit. It was like, he was just yeah. lit from behind, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. I was sunk. It took him a year to get his shit together. <laughs> Come on, John. <laughs> I scared him, because I was a city girl, so I just, you know, after a couple of months, was like, hey, like, we should date. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> Poor Stovell boy. He was just like, who is this girl? Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, so we've been together a a long, long time since we were 19. Amazing. And we're both 51. And um, he is a phenomenal human that comes from phenomenal humans. Mm -hmm. His entire family is phenomenal. Uh, I am blessed beyond... And I had um, a second mother and his mother while she was here. And we yeah. lost her in 2017. But uh, yeah, so we have a great, we laugh together. We love together. He is my very, very, very favorite person on this planet. Yeah. There's Every some- time I hear either one of you talk about each other, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's goals. It is absolutely goals. I, I just think. Hey, we fight. It goes crazy. Well, of course. You know? Absolutely. And, but that's what makes it real. And we struggle. And yeah. when we first moved here, our first winter with a new baby in a leaking house and an old broke down palace, you know, we kind of looked at each other like, okay, this is it. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we just, it was way too much. And there's been times, you know, funny enough after the fire, it brought uh-huh. us closer together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, they'll, they'll often say things like that about whether it's tragedy or, you know, it could be losing someone or an accident of some sort or someone getting sick, the things like that. He's sick. It's awful that it has to come to that sometimes. And, and in your case, mm-hmm. it didn't come to that. Mm-hmm. It just strengthened it. It did. You know? It did. He is, he really is. And anybody that meets him or that knows him, I think, and if they don't, well, that's okay too. But he's an incredible human being. Mm-hmm. And so are his father and his mother and his siblings. Yeah. They're just 
phenomenal human beings. They do the right thing. They make the right choices. They are grounded in themselves. They are authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to bring it <laughs> to that family, like the hugging. <laughs> they weren't huggers? No. Oh, I'm such a hugger. Me too. Yeah. So I got to bring that in and a little of the emotionality and like yeah. that vulnerability piece, but yeah. phenomenal people. And I, and I feel very blessed too, to just, he's great. He's awesome. We have a, we have a great life and we have lost a lot of people between 2017 and 2018. There were uh, 10 deaths in our lives. Holy. Uh, one was one of our very best friends. John's mother was another one. And then we had a number of other very close people that we loved. And I felt really pissed off because we had just moved into this house and we were only here two years and we lost all those people. And I did another deep dive. Like Mm -hmm. grief is, I kept referring to it as a fickle mistress because we couldn't even get our head out of one and we were into another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was ridiculous for our family. Um, and through all of that, you know, it only strengthened us and I think what it did was, and, and I, like I said, everything, everything, if you take the lesson from it, mm-hmm. what is this here to teach me? Not in the moment. I'm not going to tell you when, when we, you know, suddenly lost one of our best friends from high school. Um, I'm not going to say, what can I learn in this moment? I was on my back deck. I couldn't even sit in the house because the whole fucking house is his wood Mm -hmm. from his mill. And Mm -hmm. he was the one that helped me design this house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not in that moment looking for the lesson, but afterwards I am. Right. Right. And it's just brought John and I closer together to even just really value what the preciousness of life is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is what has happened. Like for myself personally, I feel like everything that's happened my whole life, but most specifically, through my 40s to now has been about learning this piece the fragility and beauty mm-hmm. and transcendental experiences of life that's what's important mm-hmm. the bullshit is not yeah and you know what in that year that we lost all those people i dropped three people out of my life that were lifetime people and all of them are gone permanently and it was really hard because mm-hmm. I was already grieving. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like, you know what? Uh-uh. Got to cut it. This is, it, it is only about living life that is unconditional and beautiful and loving and present and open and yes. vulnerable. Yes. If that can't come to my table or if I'm at a table where that's not being served, not mine. Yeah. And that's what I've learned in yeah. my life. There's all these things buzzing. Pizza's ready. Pizza's ready. <laughs> Actually, you know what, Nancy? Um, I'm just looking down at the clock here and I'm thinking we're going to end on a very happy note about love and, uh, you need a refill on your martini. (laughs) (laughs) It's Friday night. It's Friday night. (laughs) So thank you so much for, um, joining me on the safe haven podcast. And the great news is for our listeners is that you will be back because we have so many more things to talk (laughs) about. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So yeah, thank you guys, everyone who is listening. Thank you so much for listening to the safe haven podcast. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment as you follow along. Pizza's ready. (laughs) Your generous support keeps this podcast going. It keeps the messages coming your way. For now, you'll be following along on Instagram at the Safe Haven Podcast. Thank you.